This car is the most honest car you ever see. It's been a dream ever since I've had it. The first time I heard that engine screaming, I thought, I gotta have one of those. For me, the cars have personality. What's great about a BMW Classic is the community that surrounds it. When you listen to that, <laughs> that's why we're here. Welcome to Classic Heart, the BMW Group Classic Podcast. This is JP and my guest today is Mr. Incredible Neil Clifford. Uh, Neil, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, because you're a well-traveled man. I don't know where you are, so I want to make sure to have the right time of the day for the greeting. It's uh, good afternoon from uh, Farringdon in London, JP. Perfect. So that's close to home. Yeah, 38 miles. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So that's a good drive in the morning and in the evening. It is. I sometimes wish that I lived further away from my office, in <laughs> fact. But I think 38 miles is a, just a nice mileage to warm up all the crazy old bangers that I like to drive. I really like the approach by saying, uh, I, I wish I would live a bit, bit far away from my office. Um, but we speak about your office a little bit because you are uh, the CEO, the famous three letters of a company called Kurt Geiger. And you are famous for doing fantastic shoes. That's true. Yes, the company is 60 years old. Wow. I'm not 60 years old. I'm, I'm getting closer to that. But um, yes, in fact, we sell as many handbags now as we do shoes, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um, but yes, exactly. So I think there's the obvious question, Neil. How does someone who is working with such a big name in the industry, um, where's the connection from fashion to cars? Well, there isn't one. I, I really, cars came first. Tell us more about that. Cars came first. I found cars through Top Trumps. Yeah. Top Trumps was really my thing. I carry them everywhere. Perfect. So for the younger audience, this is a little card game where you have pictures and all the technical details of cars. And Neil is now holding them into the camera. Um, let's choose one. Let's choose one. Okay. Um, Shall I say stop? Mercedes-Benz 300 SL. That nice. couldn't be more. Maybe I should choose a BMW, really, shouldn't I? Here we go. A BMW 507. Look at you that. See, it works like that's the Elvis beautiful. Presley car. Mm. Mega. So that's the way you got attached to cars? I've always dreamed of cars. People count sheep to try to get to sleep, but I would always do my list of what cars I'm going to buy when I think it was a hundred thousand pounds in 1977 or something. Now it would be maybe 10 million. But I was I was putting myself to sleep with doing the list of the cars I wanted to buy when I was aged eight. What was on that list, Neil? A Daytona, a Boxer, a three liter CSL Batmobile. Nice. A 300 SL. Yes. A Camargue. Oh, Camargue. A 6.9 450. You know, I can do the list. Yeah. On and on and on. Yeah, on but and on. Was it like a, 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 the, the family, was there another car crazy person in the family or is it just you? Not really. My my brother worked in cars. He owned a garage. So maybe there is more of a connection that I would admit there. He was a a guy with his couple of guys working for him, repairing cars, body shop. I used to go and help there at the weekends. So there was the, there was a bit of car 
oiliness. Yes. But it wasn't, you know, I came from a pretty working class family, so there wasn't any um, CSLs in the garage or anything. So um, that's uh, not always necessary to have the big cars in the garage, I think. That's There's true. also beauty in a Morris Minor, I would say. Yeah, my mum had a Morris Minor Traveller with the wood, you know, the estate version. With the wood. Oh, mm. That's a secret love of mine, but mm. don't tell anyone. And I used to I used to deliver eggs with my mum. She used to deliver eggs in a Renault 4 van. Nice. And I used to sit in the middle seat doing the gears, you know, the dash-mounted gear stick. Yeah, fantastic, right? Delivering eggs around Portsmouth in the south of England. So any excuse for me to get in any car and have fun, That's uh, that came very early. So did you grow up in a farming background or why the eggs? No, it, uh, <laughs> no, it was a pretty working class city background. It's just she she was always a bit of an entrepreneur, my mum. She was always trying to find ways to make money or earn money. So mm -hmm. she had a job for a couple of years delivering delivering eggs. Um, we come to your actual garage content a bit later, but I can say it is heavily British inspired. Is it fair to say? If I did the percentages, it's probably thirty percent British. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would. If if there was one country as a as a uh, would probably be German, actually. Yeah. If I add up uh, BMW, Porsche, and Mercedes, um, it would probably be the biggest slice of the pie chart. But then after that, would probably be British. Yeah. Nice. But what do you think makes British cars so special? Think of the Mini, think of Rolls-Royce, think of Bentley, Aston Martin. Well, the list goes on, doesn't it? I think yeah. I think actually we we were, maybe were more than are, but, you know, we're a very, we're a nation of, of cars, aren't we? We, you know, I think the automotive world even today is very buoyant in the UK. I see you often here, JP, and... You know, we, we love to drive in all weathers. You know, our weathers are, our weather is pretty changeable here, but we we love to get out and about, don't we? Yeah. Because um, getting out and about, driving cars, whatever car they may be, having coffee and having laughter for me is a is a fantastic antidepressant. You know, it's yeah. The more laughter you can do, the better. And I think. Frankly, you often break down in British cars, unfortunately. So you have to have quite a sense of humour to survive uh, sometimes. The British electrics are not exactly yes. the best, are they? Yeah. Hello, Lucas, I would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've all had a Lucas drama. I agree. I agree. And there's a German saying, and I think I cannot translate to English, but I will try to give it for the German uh, uh, speaking listeners. Uh, we have a saying that says, der Herr beschütze uns vor Sturm und Wind und Autos, die aus England sind. Meaning, Holy Godfather, please protect us from storm and wind and cars that are made in Britain. <laughs> it's it's sadly a little bit true. It is. But I think it's fair to say that it's the most beautiful and elegant way to have a breakdown is in a British car, full stop. Yes. No, I Because think we, we, yeah, we design some of the most beautiful cars ever made, don't we? Particularly Jaguar. I've got a very, True. I've broken down in a lot of Jaguar, but I have a very deep <laughs> uh, love of Jaguar. You know, and the British car breaks down in a very like 
carry on the way in a sense. So yeah. Italian cars break down like a big drama. So mm. it's smoke, it's heavy. And the English cars, they just break down. So, okay, it's part of life. Come on, get over it, right? Well, I think somehow the cars become part of the character of the country is really what you're saying there, isn't there? It, yes. with, with Italy, there's always a drama. Always. And we love um, it. With, with, with British, there's always a laughter. Yes. And the Germans try to laugh, but they really can't if they break down because they feel embarrassed by the technology they deliver to someone. Yes. Like the Japanese a little bit, I would say. Yes. But let's stop making stupid jokes. So we don't want to offend anyone. All countries are great. Yes. We don't want to deliver stereotypes and we don't believe in them. So, Neil, um, what was your first ever breakdown? What car, what age and where? My mother had a Datsun 120Y coupe. What is that car? No, that's, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little... Um, there was the Cherry, which was the 100, and then the next model up, so quite a small car, but a coupe, quite a pretty little car with a little um, little sloping back. Um, I thought it was super cool at the time. It was like a, a Japanese Ford Capri in a way. And when I passed my test before I got my own car, I borrowed that car and four of my friends, we off we went to Brighton to try to have some fun. And I think, I don't know, I checked the oil and didn't put the oil cap back on or something, but I blew up the engine halfway to Brighton. <laughs> it was a dark green Datsun nice. pre-Nissan 120Y on an N-Reg 1975. Very early car for the UK, British and Japanese wow. car. Nice, mm. so that's the first. And how old were you? Like I would have been 17. Frankly, if I look back, the one as the breakthroughs in my life out of three or four of them, one was passing my driving test because it gives you such freedom, doesn't it? You really know you're an adult. And how did you tell your mother? Well, there were no mobile phones, so I think um, I think we got towed home. So I just arrived at three in the morning with the yellow lights flashing with this poor <laughs> car with no oil and a seized engine on the um, on the back of a truck. I think. Did she ever give you another cars of hers for to drive? Was she forgiving? Yes, she did. My mum, you know, bless her, she's not not with us anymore. But she, um, my father died very young, actually, not to go into mm. those sorts of things. But it was, so it was me and my mother, you know, we, we were, I was, I was, it was me and her. We were like a, a partnership. So she was very good to me at all times and would lend me anything of her cars or anything else, frankly. What a beautiful relationship that is, mm. I think. Mm. And um, isn't it lovely that we all have fantastic stories or beautiful stories connected to cars, in a sense? Yeah. Most of my joyful stories are about travel. You know, I spent, I spent a year with my now wife. We weren't married at the time in 95. I spent a year driving around Australia in a Volkswagen combi van. Wow. Or... We spent three months, we bought a car in San Francisco and drove around America in a, in a, in a car. So all of my, most of my joy, apart from, let's say, getting married, and having children and all of those things, will involve a car, to be honest. I like travel. Mm -hmm. I like movement. It's, it's progress for me. I, th I think the best when I'm driving. I have my best ideas when I'm driving. I've never, I'm sat in my office here. I don't think I've ever had a good idea sat here. 
But it is a good place to execute the idea, so that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you could boss people around, but I've never thought of something good. <laughs> <laughs> I never could imagine you bossing someone around, but that's because we don't work together. No, with with you know, with with charm, obviously, British charm, yeah. but no, I think well when I'm driving, I, I have my best creative ideas and yeah, I'm dyslexic, so I don't I don't read. I can't read. But my brain is always very active. Of you know, I think dyslexia actually is a superpower that was very difficult from a school perspective. But suddenly, work all made sense. Dyslexia mm -hmm. was cool when, when I started to be in charge of myself as opposed to having to listen to people and then couldn't remember what they told me. That's very empowering for everyone who is at school now. Mm. Um, is uh, is dyslexic? Can you say is dyslexic? Do you say that that way? I'm not well, sure. it's a funny word, dyslexia, because it's about the world's hardest word to spell. Yes, and it's about someone that can't spell. So it should yeah. have been a different word, really. Uh, dyslexia, much simpler. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. I love this empowerment of say that's a superpower. It is because if you don't read, you're never looking down. You're always looking up. Yes. And therefore you're much more engaged, I think, is my my reflection on it, with people. Because you're not distracted by reading stuff because you don't want to do that because you can't do it. So you, yeah. you from a human perspective, I find it I find the fact that, you know, I'm probably quite good at reading humans and being able to judge the good and bad ones. Yeah. Also a superpower. Mm. More important to see the good ones than the bad ones, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Just avoid the bad ones and stick to exactly. the good ones. Absolutely. But, uh, Neil, so why did you not pursue a career in cars? Well, my first job was in cars. 1980, what was it? 1983, unemployment in the UK was 12%, the highest since, uh, since the 40s, actually. And ever since, it's gone down ever since from then. I left school at the worst possible time, actually, with yeah. one, one qualification, which was art. I failed everything else. So therefore the government had to give me a job because there were no jobs anyway for anyone, let alone me. Mm -hmm. And this was a, called the Youth Training Scheme, which was funded by the government, £25 a week, and you, mm -hmm. you they gave you an option and off you went. And I started in the Fiat garage in Portsmouth in the parts department on the microfish, supplying oil filters and... Fiat one two four panels for a car that is only eighteen months old that had rusted through already because the Italians weren't so good at you know <laughs> rust proofing. So I had this wonderful year with Fiat. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a I've got a very soft spot for Fiat. It was the launch of the Fiat Uno car of the year nineteen eighty three. Um, there was the X one nine was in the showroom on my first day. Uh, it's a, an adorable brand, and that was so. My first job was in the motor industry. And what changed your mind? Well, because basically it was twenty five pounds a week. So I then yeah. I then had a job in a hardware store, which was just along from the Fiat garage, which was forty pounds a week as percentage mm. terms. That's quite a pay rise. Yes, and this was delivering gas bottles and paraffin. Mm -hmm a lot of old people had these paraffin heaters and you had to refuel them every couple of days and replace the wick. So I was a delivery boy for gas and paraffin. But the problem is with that job, and I love that job, is I smelt of paraffin. <laughs> so it was very, very difficult to get a girlfriend or in fact, 
have a, even a, my, my friends would say, my God, you, you stink of paraffin. So I then had to get a job in the local department store selling suits. Mm-hmm. And that was when I fell into the fashion industry. And I realized that even though I was not very good at school, I was really good at talking and being nice to people. And people bought things from me. And it was wonderful. And there began my career in the fashion industry. You're quite a self-made man, respect. I've, I've loved every job. I cleaned toilets at the IBM headquarters in the United Kingdom was in Portsmouth. And I was in a band, actually, and I needed a new keyboard. So I, I in the evening of the Fiat garage, I cleaned toilets with those huge machines. It was yeah. brilliant fun. And uh, I got my Roland JX3P keyboard which was 700 pounds. This was the equivalent now of, I think you were buying a 10,000 pound keyboard. You know, it's very expensive. Crazy. But I think one always has to be, um, enjoy work. Enjoy what you do. Yeah. That's very important. And what was the name of the band? The Identity. And I was really rubbish. I was, I, I cannot play the piano. I had about a million piano lessons. I think it's some connected to dyslexia probably. My coordination was awful. So the, what was very unfortunate is the band split up, but then surprisingly it restarted about three days later without me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, there was, I think there was a message there. Yeah. I think it's a very elegant message to me. <laughs> very British again. Yes. Like no confrontation directly. I we don't say fired. you suck. Yes. No, we just, we just. We just don't do it anymore. Yes. But then three days later, we do it, but with a different Yes, we don't need a keyboard team. player. So I hope you were not heartbroken about that. No, no, no. I was all, I was, I was fine. I knew I was rubbish. I was consciously incompetent. Yeah, okay. Which is the best way. That's my life. Consciously incompetent. If you're going to be rubbish, be aware of it. Exactly. And yeah. make the best out of rubbish. Yeah. The dangerous ones are the ones that don't realize they're rubbish. <laughs> exactly. Um, Neil, I have to come to a very sad point of your car ownership, hmm. I would say, because you lost a very important car to you, to the British community, to the British car building history, and to me personally, yes. because I thought I could sit in it because there are very few of these around. Yes. It's the Bristol Fighter. It is. And I've, I've not discussed this with anyone before, so hopefully there's no one listening to this podcast. No one will. I've owned for 12 years um, one of 13 Bristol Fighters in Bristol Metallic Red with Cognac Leather. And uh, in Britain, we say it's, it was like Trigger's Broom. This is a broom that is, is exactly the original broom, but it's had seven new heads and 14 new handles. <laughs> I'd, I'd spent so much money on this car because fundamentally, logically, left brain perspective, it was rubbish. Um, it wasn't designed with the budget required. It wasn't, the budget wasn't there, but I adored the car. It's the most, in, in real life, it's a really beautiful car. In photographs, it's not so good, but like me, in real life and you, JP, we're much better than of course. our photographs demonstrate. 100%. Um, but anyway, I took the car to be serviced. I won't mention the, the very, very embarrassed dealer, but the specialist of Bristol in the UK. And I got the phone call that you never want. Unfortunately, Mr. Clifford, we've got some bad news. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, I thought you were ringing to say that the car is ready for me to pick up from its service. Unfortunately, the car has been involved in an accident. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. How bad? Uh, We don't know yet, but we thought we'd call you immediately because you may see it on social media because there's currently (laughs) an ambulance and a police, two police cars surrounding the car, and the car is on its roof. Oof. Now, it's not ideal being on the roof of a car in any circumstances, but particularly when it's got gullwing doors. Yeah, tricky. (laughs) (laughs) So they then had to get the guy out of the car through the boot with a crowbar. (laughs) And to summarise, the car was dead. And there are now... 12 Bristol fighters in the world, not 13. Yeah. And uh, the truth of it is, I was always a little bit scared to death driving that car. Because it was very powerful. It's Has very it over powerful. Over 1,000 horsepower or something? It's 500, 525 brake horsepower. Ah, oh, perfect. But it, it didn't feel the most stable of cars. <laughs> but I was, I was deeply upset and maybe slightly relieved because I knew I could never sell this car. So it probably had the only ending that was, could have happened to me really. So yes, the car does no longer exist or certainly it's a little bit flatter than it was originally. Yeah. I mean, it's flattering uh, to have that car, but having it flat is only good if you do a flat out, I would say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully the driver didn't have anything happen to the driver, no, so that's no, what I hope. No. That's good. Of course, that that was, of course, my first question. I forgot to yeah. mention that. But um, he, he, no, absolutely. He was very lucky, actually, to be very honest. Yeah. Probably going a little bit too fast in a junction that went down from two to one, a little bit yeah. damp, in a Bristol fighter. Mm. It's not a good cocktail. No, it's not, especially if you don't have uh, electronic lending procedure yep. gear or something like this. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, that's very sad, but thank you very much for sharing that one. Because I remember that I wrote the story when the fighter came out for Classic Driver. And, and I think the show car, if I'm not mistaken, was a blue car. Blue, yeah. Right. Electric so, blue. Um, yeah, lovely. Yeah. There's one chap. And, and Anthony Crook. Um, and a guy yes. called Toby Silverton. But, you know, Anthony Crook, who wore the badge. Legend. A Crook yeah. <laughs> on his suit. I mean, yes. if that doesn't sell everything about the charm and beauty and Monty Python yeah. style of the British car <laughs> yes. industry, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. And, you know, I visited that showroom um, for many, many years when I was very poor with my good friend Paul, and we'd go in and the, the mad German secretary would make us tea and they would mark us down in the book and we would be told about his uh, Anthony Crooks flying Spitfires and racing with Sterling Moss. And the moment I made money, which was in April 2008, the first thing I did before I paid off my mortgage, to be very honest, I walked through that door and said, I'm here to buy a car. And Perfect. I said, what have you got, Tony? And he said, I've got an, um, and there's always a story with the Bristol. I've got the most amazing Bristol uh, brigand. And it was owned by the first Concord pilot, mm-hmm. you know. There's always a beautiful book of each. Yeah, so always. I, I drove off in a Bristol Brigham. I mm. bought it. I mean, in the end, you might know that, but there is a 
connection, uh, let's say not a free will connection between Bristol and BMW, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? I Because mean, the, four, the 400, as we know, is basically a 328 with a roof. Exactly. And that's it. Mm. And they mm. should have done the 328 with a roof, in my opinion. Yes. You know, here's a bit of history lesson. So there was a thing called World War II. The winners are clear. And so they took what they needed to build a good cars. <laughs> Maybe that's the most reliable Bristols ever. It was. I think that's probably right. right. Yes. So we, we got on our Bristol aeroplanes from Bristol, the airport. Yes. And we visited Munich. Yes. And we filled up the aeroplanes and flew back to Bristol, basically. Yes. And you took something from another company that has its roots in building aircraft. Yes, correct. BMW logo. So yep. look it up. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So Neil, what top three, because we don't want to mention how many car you own, because that would be too much, but top three of the cars parked in your garage at the moment. Um. I always struggle with this because it's not a collection. I, I don't like the word collection. I know you didn't use the word collection. It's definitely addiction. It's my yes. third space between work and family. And in the middle is all this crazy car stuff going on in my yeah. head. Um, if, I, if, if, if your question is, okay, there's a, there's a fire and you've got to save three, what would they be? Maybe that's how I can frame it. Yeah. The car I've owned the longest is a 964RS Porsche in Ruby Stone. Yes. Red. Very cool um, color. I've, mm. I've been all around Europe a hundred times in that car. That's adorable. I, I, for me, it's peak 911. Um, I, have a, I have a 458 Speciale Aperta that was the last car that was organized through Luca de Montezelmo before the mm -hmm. Paris Motor Show in, I think, 14 or 15. What's the color? In, in um, Blue Potsy. Ah, the best. Um, I, I, I mean, a, green is a cool color, but Blue Potsy is mm. the best color for a Ferrari, period, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that would be hard to walk past and go to something else. And I, I have a 73 RS, actually, a two-owner car, mm. no stickers, um, original Milan car. Probably those three I would be saving. So you mentioned in the beginning that the Batmobile, the, the, um, the BMW made also an impression on you, but there's none in your collection, isn't it? There is, there is. A daily one. It's my daily car. Sorry, I said the word collection. Yeah, don't, please don't use that word. Yeah. So there is, in your admiration base, <laughs> there is a BMW. What is yep. it? It's a 5 Series Touring Alpina B5. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's the car I drive every day. And you know, I've come very late to Alpina. I feel embarrassed mm. because it's suddenly the Swiss Army knife of cars, this BMW. 100%. It's, it's unbelievably good it's got a great noise if you want it to it's super quiet if you want it to be it's the most comfortable thing my wife adores it my dog adores it it looks very chic i've debadged it nice. no one really knows what it is unless you know it's it can cover huge distances in comfort it's got all of the car play and all of the things you need it's a swiss army knife it's fantastic Yeah, I really like them as well. It's a very well-respected... Uh, actually, one of my friends said to me, oh my God, that's so cool. That's the car for the guy that's got everything. Nice. 
What a compliment. And it's sort of true, you know, not to say I'm that guy, but it's the it's the car that is the only car you really, really need to do everything. So I'm super happy with it. A friend of mine has exactly your car, but in blue, I think. Yes. And, um, yes. Yeah. and you know, if you compare, you drive that car and then you drive the equivalent, let's say, without mentioning competitors, yeah. but from other brands in Germany, it's miles ahead yes. in terms of driver enjoyment and comfort. And the balance to get those both of those things right is obviously very difficult. And I think that's one of the strengths that we have in German automotive industry, that we can do things very well made, very cool made. It's another long conversation, but I wish, I wish Germans would buy um, Aston Martin. Yeah, I. You know what? It's going to happen. I thought probably. that. Be, no, I thought that Mercedes is like on the doorstep. Me too. Doing that. The German automotive industry has proven that it can be great homes for brands with different DNA and executed yes. very well and invested in and made made you know successful commercially, but without losing all the elements of the brand that are important from uh, aesthetics and history and everything. And uh, yeah, I think Bentley is. Volkswagen Group have done an amazing job with Bentley. Yes. Really. Yeah. Brilliant job. Not possible without BMW, though. No, of course. Because if they have not sold the name Bentley, then uh, yes. it would not it, happen. No, exactly. Yeah, no, of course. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, Rolls-Royce, you know, you go and see that setup down there in Goodwood and the, the quality. I mean, you sit in a, you sit in a Rolls-Royce, it's untouchable in terms of quality of materials, really. It is. I'm a big fan of the Phantom because I really think it's a very nice interpretation of the past. It brought into the future. So very well done by Ian Cameron and all the other designers uh, involved in that. The quality is fantastic and the, the success story is fantastic. And also what Rod Royce did um, by keeping, as you said, by keeping the values of that company, not in business terms because otherwise they wouldn't have been around anymore, <laughs> um, I would love to believe uh, that the the foreign management understood how valuable the British history is of that car, and I think it they did what they did well. Even though also um, they brought change, of course, but I think in general they understood the brand quite well. I think they did a masterful job. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And now we need to convince them to bring back something like Carmark. Oh yes, what a car! Yeah, yeah. I had one recently, but the car had not been driven for 10 years. And even mm. though I'd, there was service before I bought it, it broke down three times out of five. Mm. It had 3,000 miles from new, gold with chocolate leather. Oh. I mean, it was the ultimate Camargue. Yes. It's ended up now in a beautiful collection by a guy that won't drive it very much, but that doesn't matter. I tried to drive it quite a bit and I had a couple of bad situations with my dog and the wife and I'm very patient. You know, I give cars three, three, three goes. Yeah. But if you break down three times within a couple of months, it has to go. But to look at this car is one of the oh, coolest amazing. things and the interior and the leather. Elegant as hell, I would say. It's the ultimate top trumps car, really. Yes, it is right up there on top trumps the Camargue yeah 
Definitely. 6,750 cc's. You couldn't, yeah. it, beat, it beat most things that apart from, I think, the Ford Thunderbird. You already own a lot of beautiful cars. I mean, dream cars. Uh, but wouldn't you say that a big part of collecting cars is the chase? I mean, browsing the internet, finding new things, cars you never thought you want to own, and suddenly something pops up and you want to have it. I think the chase is at least half of the fun of collecting cars. Yeah, it's the chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The chase is the beautiful thing. Uh, luckily, not with partnerships. That's very good. I think I, I did, never had that issue. Yeah. Uh, no, so my, my, wife, my wife looks at me on my iPad every evening and I've, you know, I've scanned Classic Driver. I've scanned Piston Heads. I've scanned Collecting Cars. I've scanned yeah. Car and Classics. I probably know 70% of the cars and their prices that are for sale in the whole of Europe. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, 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 that's a superpower. That's also a superpower. <laughs> and it, and it's a superpower that is connecting to reading. Don't forget that. Yes, it is. It is. So it is. if you want, if you're interested in something, you can read and you will remember. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we need to speak about the family and the wider family because uh, there's also a four leg member who's called Dino. Yes. Who is also car crazy, I assume. Um, yeah, he loves, yeah, dogs like cars. I think they like to travel. I think maybe they have their best ideas when they're on the move. <laughs> so, but how's your family towards all the car things? Well, I, I have a lovely wife, Emma, and three kids, and uh, they're all very, very tolerant. The one question I always get from my wife, and she's, she's very trusting, but we get in a car. Let's take, for example, the RS2 that I've just bought. And the one question I get, will we make it? You know, if we're going somewhere, <laughs> will we make it? And I, I have to give her the, you know, the, the sense of security. Of course, darling, we make it. I know it's got 176,000 miles on the clock. Um, and the throttle pedal fell off last week, but that's been <laughs> welded back on. Of course we're going to make it because I yeah. have this eternal optimism that you're always going to make it. Yeah. And uh, I want my daughter to to get into a little bit of vintage uh, car events with me, actually. Nice. She's going to be my companion, I think, on hopefully some events in the future. And then we're going to go and do the the Toro or the Mili Milia in a Jaguar Mark 7. Sensational. Mm. Absolutely. That's the plan. So what else is on your schedule for 2024? The list for this year is long. Um, it's members meeting Goodwood. Actually, I'm at the ice in San Moritz in a couple of Check. weeks' time just because I always go to that and it's wonderful and it's great for my very frustrating amateur photography where I can remind myself that I don't know how to use a Leica. Um, so I like having doing one that. is more, I mean, I think you're in the upper percentage of people owning a Leica yes. for the sake of having it. Yes. I and at least it helps you to make good photos. I don't think you're allowed into Sam Moritz without a Leica. Is, is, I think that's, uh, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Uh, like sorry, you're a Canon guy? Please take a ride. It's a passport. Yeah, the Leica. Yes. So yeah. I'll be there. Um, members meeting, of course. Revival, of course. Le Mans, of course. And uh, I'm going to be in Milan quite a lot from a business perspective, and therefore that's an excuse to drive a 599 around the square a hundred times. <laughs> What else am I doing? I'm probably going to the Japanese Grand Prix with my son and my wife, so that would be cool. cool. 
And then there's all the lovely British sort of slightly oily fingered amateur events like all the hill climbs that are just wonderful old school brilliant events which i try to do as many of those as i possibly can what a fantastic mix Mm. i think Mm. that is Mm. and i guess one important part of that mix is a little morning coffee on a secret location that i will reveal no matter what (laughs) when you commute from home to London in a fantastic car, you and car-like-minded friends meet at a little spot in North London called Zalvino. Yes, well, we have a, a brilliant Italian deli that I've discovered. It's in North London in Camden called Salvino, and it opens for members only at 6am and for the rest of the public at 7am. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it is like one flow of the cuckoo's nest. You go there and all these wonderful people, the divorce lawyer, the plumber, the 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 driving instructor, yeah. the guy that runs the buses. And we all meet there and JP has been lucky enough to visit Salvino and you have beautiful handmade fresh pastries by Alfonso oh. that he gets up at three in the morning. And we sit there for half an hour, drink lovely coffee, talk about anything, mainly cars or just football or whatever and then we all disperse and it's uh yeah it's a it's a it's one of my wonderful finds of the last decade and i'm there every single morning and i'm uh, happy that i had the chance to join that and every time i'm in london i will do so even though it's a nightmare to getting where i live in london yeah. to there but yeah. it's absolutely i'll uh, come and pick you up the trip you tell me when you're there and i'll come and get you i'll, I, I'll escort that's you very kind next time Thank you very much. That's very kind. Uh, please take the Alpina because yes. I love the Alpina. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, anyway, and we need to talk about something that you created also with some friends, mm-hmm. which uh, which has a very strange name for anyone non-British, I would say. Yes, the Weirdos and Optimists. The Weirdos and Optimists. Well, I think what we're, a lovely we're, title. We're all part of this wonderful community, I think, of the Weirdos and Optimists, and. If you're not a weirdo or an optimist, I think it's the alternative is not as good. 100%. If you're boring and a pessimist, that's not yeah. a good cocktail. <laughs> no, no. <that's... laughs> I, I created the name in my little weird dyslexic head, and then good friends came and asked me, could they play with the brand? And actually, the original members were Devon McNeil, yes. um, Zaid, from, uh, uh, writes a lot for Porsche and Luke, Luke Gilbertson. Um, Zaid is Zaid Chronicles on Instagram. And and, yes. uh, and Luke's working for DK Engineering, we have to say that one. Luke works for DK and we're, we're in a way the four founding members and now really that cute little brand and website and Instagram is run by um, Luke and Zaid and they do a wonderful job of writing really cute stories about weirdos and optimists and the connection with cars. And actually cars is not just about cars. It's about the people, you know, that's, that's what we really love. And I think you're the same JP. It's the, it's the human beings that we meet through cars. That's the most important thing. I always say I don't collect cars, which I actually don't do, but if I wouldn't collect cars, I would collect uh, people and memories. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yes. We all love cars. We all love driving. We all love, you know, the mechanical aspects, but it's the people that is the most 
joyful element of what we do, I think. Um, I've, I've met some incredible people. I'm very fortunate to have, you know, quite a now big gang of friends that I've met through this little addiction that I've got. And that's, that's made my life more colorful. Yes. And I think these are very beautiful words to close our little conversation. And I hope that everyone who tuned in feels the same way in that respect, because that's what it's all about. It's not about showing off your latest uh, BMW, Rolls Royce, Bentley or whatever, and, and hope that someone is like incredibly uh, jealous about that one. No, just buy it because you love it. Yeah, and use it to meet wonderful people. Yes. Yeah. The, the car is a nice vehicle to meet wonderful people. It is. Right. Neil, thank you very much for joining. Well, lovely, JP. Thank you very much. I've, I've a great pleasure and a privilege to be invited to join your your podcast gang. I mean, we do what we love. So exactly. That's, uh, and of course, if you liked what you listened to the last couple of minutes, please give us a like, give us a follow, put the subscribe button that you never miss an episode. Um, we are always open if you share fantastic new guests for us. So if you think that someone, a friend or someone you know, should be also joining Neil and the other great guests we had in the past, please let us know. And um, of course, thank you very much to all the team that make this podcast happen, which is Alex from Scenario Studio, who takes care of the great sound. We have Federica, who takes care of non, not too much nonsense in what we do as our editor. And of course, uh, Robin from Shot One, who takes care about all the organization. Thank you all very much for joining us on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Neil, have a great rest of the day and a good start of the weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.